prayer this morning? If that's your prayer and that's your heart's cry, I'm going to pray. And that's what we're going to ask God for. We're going to say, Lord, I want more of you in my life. I want more. I want more. That's the heart cry of the Christian. When you get saved, the journey doesn't end there. Okay? The journey begins when you, get, when you experience salvation. When we experience salvation, the journey begins. And throughout our life, our heart's cry is to say, God, I want you more and more in my life. If that's your heart's cry, let him know it as we pray now. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. We want more of you in our life and less of ourself. God, do a great and mighty work this morning in our hearts and in our lives, Father, as we study your word. And God, give us that desire to passionately, wholly, completely pursue you with all of our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we know you're going to answer that prayer because you're going to draw us closer and closer in the days and weeks to come. Thank you in Jesus' mighty name I pray, Lord God. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Miss Stephanie will bring you a Bible. Got a couple of hands. And then for the rest of us guys, uh, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Jude, to the book of Jude. We're, look, we're studying the book of Jude, verse by verse. A deep book. I haven't heard a lot of sermons on it, but let me tell you something. It has been a fascinating study, and I cannot wait to dive in to these five verses with you this morning. Five or six verses, verses five to 11. But uh, it's an amazing passage, and it's deep, it's theological, and it's just a wonderful passage that the Lord has for us this morning that we're diving into. So Jude, can't say chapter because it's just one chapter, but Jude, verses 5 through 11. The scripture says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authorities and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these... But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct. Like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for the pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Father, thank you for your word as we look at you this morning. Uh, help us to um, look at it closely, Father. And help us to learn from what your inspired word says to us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen.
Amen. So we, with the book of Jude, the theme of the book of Jude is what? We talked about it last week. It is contending for the faith. It's defending the faith. It's defending the faith. Why is it important that we contend to defend the faith? Why is that important? The reason why we contend and defend the faith is because, here's the simple answer. Truth exists. Okay? Truth exists. And I don't know about you, but I don't want nothing, no baloney in the middle. I want to know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for nothing can be done against the truth but for the truth. And when it comes to false teaching and unbiblical teaching, they stand in the way of truth. So we don't want false teaching. We don't want to fall into the error, the error of apostasy. Because it stands in the way of knowing the truth. And when you know the truth, what Jesus said in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So that's what false teaching does. That's what apostasy does. That's what falling away does. It separates us from freedom in Christ. And we want to know the truth. Last week we talked about the call to defend the truth. And that call to defend the truth according to the opening of Jude, is for all Christians. It's not just for the pastors and the theologians and the scholars, but it's for all believers to defend the truth. This week, we're looking at the title of my message, The Danger of Apostasy, because that's what Jude is, is, is zooming in here and looking at in verses 5 to 11. The danger of apostasy. Apostasy is when someone knows the truth and then they deliberately walk away. They abandon the truth. Apostasy is not backsliding, okay? Let me repeat that. Apostasy is not backsliding. It's turning away, abandoning, and, and leaving the truth altogether. We've all seen well-known Christians in our, in our world today come out and renounce their faith. Uh, you know, you hear a famous Christian who says, I don't believe anymore. Or there's that Christian artist who goes on social media and renounces his or her faith. Then there's the cool hipster with the cool glasses that make him look really smart, talking about deconstructing his faith. He deconstructs his faith because there's something in the Bible he does not like. So instead of trying to figure it out, talking with his pastor and praying and, and studying the scripture, instead of doing what he should do to figure it out, what he, what he or she does is they redefine the meaning. They redefine the meaning of the text based on their feelings, opinions, or the cultural norms. And according to Jude, we're going to see this morning in the book of Jude, according to Jude, this is nothing new, family. This is nothing new. This has been happening since the beginning of time. It's just repackaged in our day in 21st century language. But it started back in the garden. What did Satan say to Eve? Hath, has God really said you know, he tempted Eve. Did, did God say that? Did the Bible really teach that? Is, is, is that truly the Lord's word? So people have been trying to twist it. The scripture is plain. It's simple. It's easy to understand. It's, it's so simple that the scripture says, all we have to do is have childlike faith to receive it, believe it, and walk in the truth. That's the truth. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, Will you find faith on the earth? When the Lord Jesus Christ splits that eastern sky, will he find faithful Christians who love him, who trust him, 
and who defend the truth of the scripture. You know, we got to plant our feet and our lives firmly in scripture, firmly in the word of God, and say, in Christ alone I stand. And in your word, Lord God, I trust in this and this alone. And I stand and let nothing sway us so that we're faithful when that day comes. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. He may come before the end of the sermon. He may come maybe another hundred years. No man knows the day or the hour, but when he does come, will he find faith on the earth? Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So you need to understand, there is a real spiritual warfare taking place for your heart, your soul, and your mind. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to put on the full armor of God and, and, and be consumed in the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and walking in the truth so that we don't fall for Satan's lies. We don't fall for the deception of the age. Again, I want to repeat this. Apostasy is not backsliding. Apostasy is a complete departure from the faith. And unfortunately, it breaks our hearts, but some people in our world, some of our friends, you may know someone, a friend or a family member, that's become disillusioned, and they've walked away from the faith. And we don't stand in judgment over them, but we stand with a compassionate heart that prays for them. And our hearts are broken. Again, I repeat, our hearts are broken when we see one person walk away from the faith. And we pray fervently for them and witness to them and show them the grace and truth and love of God with the hope that they'll come back to the truth. So, this morning, the danger of apostasy, let's look at it starting in Jude, verse 5. Jude, verse 5. I'm going to halfway through the verse and stop. He says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. So the first thing Jude does here in in verse 5 is is he engages our mind. He's engaging our mind. And what he's saying here is that you and I need to be reminded, okay? You and I need to be reminded in our brain. We are such, I am anyway, I am such forgetful people. Ask me what I had for lunch yesterday and I have to ask my wife because I forget yesterday. But we're very forgetful people and we forget a lot of things. And throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, God reminds his people. The key words remind. God reminds his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, the scripture says, talking to the children of Israel, he says, You shall remember all the days which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Paul said in Romans 15, 15, But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. Because of the grace that was given to me from God. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12-13, he says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of the, these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you by way of reminder. So even in the first century, The first century preachers, the first century apostles were pressing the point that the people of God have got to be reminded. 
We need the things of God and the things of the Scripture refreshed in our memory over and over. Why? Because we'll forget them. We'll forget them and we'll let them go. Listen to what Matthew Henry said. Matthew Henry said, talking about preaching. He says, preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon, but to put us into remembrance, to call to mind things forgotten. You know, how many of you guys remember what we taught two weeks ago? I'm not sure off the top of my head either. I remember what we talked about last week. But one of the reasons we come to church is so the pastor can remind you of what the scripture says, of what the word of God says, so we can renew our mind and be refreshed in his presence, be refreshed in his word. This is the purpose of preaching. There's, first off, there's no new truth, okay? Throughout, throughout all time and eternity, God has given us one truth, and that's the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So truth does not change. And there's no new truth. All truth is what's found in the scriptures. But human beings by nature, we are forgetful. And we do well to remember. And he says in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all. So now, in this first century, he's going to remind them of what happened with ancient Israel. So let's you and I go back and revisit what happened with ancient Israel because Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 5, halfway through verse 5, he said, here's the first one. That the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. God miraculously delivered ancient Israel from the bonds of Egypt. He sent plagues on Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them with manna from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. He led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But then the Israelites grumbled and their hearts turned cold. You know, they, they, they left Egypt and within two years, they were at the gates of going into the promised land. But then they rebelled. Their hearts became cold and they refused to obey the, the voice of the Lord. And because of their rebellion, God says, you know what? You're not going into the promised land. You're going to wander. You're, you're going to wander for 38 years. Despite Moses pleading with them not to rebel, the Israelites turned away and rebelled against the Lord. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 13, for my note takers, says, So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Also, Numbers chapter 14, verse 29, said, he says to the Israelites, remember now, this is his people. These are those that he's miraculously provided for. He's brought them out of Egypt. They've seen the deliverance of the Lord. And, and scholars estimate that uh, the, the scripture says there were 600,000 men of military age, okay? So scholars, based on the numbers of families and parents and relatives and men and women, scholars estimate 2.4 million Israelites uh, left Egypt. But in Numbers 14, 29, he said to these Israelites, your corpse will fall in the wilderness. The bodies will hit the ground. They will not 
come into the promised land because of your rebellion, because of your disobedience. God destroyed the entire generation of the children of Israel, ages 20 and up, who came out of Egypt except for who? Joshua and Caleb. The reason God did this? Apostasy. That means 1.2 million bodies dropped dead in the desert. 1.2 million bodies. Uh, God says, you will not enter the promised land because you're rebellion and disobedience. This means, if, if you break out the numbers, this means for 38 years, there was an average of 85 funerals per day. Seven funerals per waking hour for 38 straight years. That was a, it was an hourly reminder of the consequences of their rebellion. People were dropping like flies for 38 years because they refused to listen to the Lord. What, what can you and I, okay, that, was, that, that was many, many years ago, what can we learn in 2021? What can we learn today? What can we learn from this? What can we bring to our minds? Simply, finish strong, family. Christian, you put your trust in Christ. You're living for him. Now go out and finish strong. Finish strong. Finish the race. You know, whatever you've done in the past, leave it behind. Leave it behind. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. And we, we press forward. Uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Christian, you're running the race. You're running the race of life to serve him. Okay? He's brought you out of Egypt. He's forgiven you of your sin. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's applied his grace to your life, his truth to your life, his love to your life. Now go out and finish strong. Finish strong in serving Christ. And not only do we go out and finish strong, but let's get back to our minds for a minute. What do we need to do with our minds when it comes to finishing strong? We need to make a decision. We need to make a, you and I need to make a conscious decision in our mind. I am going to serve the Lord. Come hell or high water, come no matter what happens in this life, Lord Jesus, my heart is yours and I'm going to serve you. Joshua said, Joshua 24, 15, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let's take our minds, family, and say, Lord God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live my life for you until you split that Easter sky. And I'm going to finish strong. Let's look at verse 6. Verse 5. So we learn from the ancient Israelites, and don't turn away. You know, 1.2 million fell in the desert. You know, Again, they saw the deliverance of the Lord. They were the children of Israelites. Tuck that away in your eternal security folder. Judgment came because they turned from the Lord. Back in uh, Exodus and Numbers. Verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. He says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Here in verse 6, some, some scholars think this is a reference to the fall of Satan 
and some scholars believe this is a fall, a reference to uh, Genesis chapter 6. I hold to Genesis chapter 6, taking this as uh, those fallen demons who came down and had sexual relations with the daughters of men. Because the angels, the fallen angels that fell at creation, it says they're in the heavenly realms. They're the ones that we do spiritual warfare against. But these fallen angels that he's talking about, verse 6, what does he say there? They're in eternal bonds. So they've already experienced this judgment. They're already in hell. And, uh, but so these are the, fought, the demons who came down, had sexual relations with the daughters of men, producing the Nephilim. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 6. And this is what set the stage. This is the exact same chapter in Genesis that after it talks about these fallen angels coming down and sleeping with the daughters of men, the very next verses go right into Noah's flood. And this is why God brought judgment on the ancient world through the flood. But think about it. Think about it for a minute. Think about these, fall, these, uh, these, these fallen angels. These angels in this text who are now in hell in the eternal bonds under the darkness of judgment, they were once in the choirs of heaven before creation. They were there worshiping God in the choirs of heaven. But now, eternal torment in hell. You know, hell was created for fallen angels. That's what Jesus says. Hell was created for fallen angels. But it will also be the place where those who reject Christ and are not born again will spend eternity. That's why we share the gospel. So that they can find out how to find forgiveness of sin, experience eternal life, and spend eternity in heaven. Please, I beg you, if there's one person here in our audience, if there's one person listening online, if you are not a Christian, I ask you to humble yourself. Put your trust in Christ. And then stay humble. Renounce sin and completely trust in Christ. That is the gospel, that we trust in Christ. And then we don't make the mistakes of ancient Israel in verse 5. Or, or, these, or these angels who left their domain. Let's stay in our domain. And our domain is to serve Christ and to walk in humility. It gets deeper. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, he says, he uses this phrase, just as. So when he uses that phrase, just as, in verse 7, he's connecting uh, the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7 says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing punishment of eternal fire. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Basically what he's saying in verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the fallen angels in the previous verse before, there was two, there was two sins so there's one that was done by the angelic fallen angels. There was one done by the humans. But their sins was one they indulged in, look at it, in gross immorality. You got to look at that whole phrase, indulged in gross immorality. Basically, they plunged forward with no restraint into fornication. It was unbridled. It was the passion. It was the pursuit. That they went after gross immorality. Fornication, pornea. And then it says they went after strange flesh, 
reference to their desire for homosexuality and their unnatural relations. So the, this was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and this was the sin of the fallen angels. That they went after gross immorality, and they went after strange flesh and homosexuality. Friends and family, there's only one safe sex in our world, and that's one man, one woman, two rings in marriage. The popular response today from people who desire to live in immorality and or homosexuality, this is talking about homosexuality and heterosexuality outside of marriage, the, the, the famous popular response is, I was born this way. In a sense, that statement is correct. They, 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 that statement is correct. They are born that way because the scripture teaches that we're all born into sin. Uh, sin has corrupted us all. Sin has broken our world. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. We don't stand in judgment over people that are homosexual or, who, who are, or, the, or the other crowd, people that are having sex outside of marriage. We, we point them to the truth of the gospel and we point them to the truth that they need to repent, to turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ. And when they become born again, he gives them a new heart and a new desire that moves them in the opposite direction. God, looking at verse 7, God brought judgment on the ancient world because of their sexual immorality. So he will do the same today. God commands sexual purity, and that purity, and that purity is possible when we surrender our life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We love all people. We care for all people. There's no hate in our hearts towards anybody. But the truth of the matter is all people in this world are broken by sin. And our job as Christians is to lovingly, gracefully show them the truth and the grace of God so that they can walk in freedom and not fall into the sin of the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, or the ancient Israelites. Sin is sin. Whether it's this sin or another sin, all sin is sin. And our job is to Again, point people to the cross. Point people to where they can find forgiveness. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. Now he's going to reference here. Notice in verse 8 he says, Yet in the same way these men. What's he talking about there in verse 8? Yet in the same way these men. Now he's talked about ancient Israel. He's talked about the past. Now in verse 8 he's going back to the, the false teachers that Jude is addressing in their day. And he gives us the false teacher's authority. Let's look at This is the authority of a false teacher who leads people into apostasy. Verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and, reject, and revile angelic majesties. This is the foundation of the false teacher. The first one there, a false teacher gets his truth and theology from what? By dreaming. You know, whatever comes to their mind is their truth. You know, if they can think it and it feels okay to them, that is their truth. That is their truth to them. On the contrary, a Christian gets his truth, his or her truth, in their theology from where? From Scripture. That's where we get our truth. That is our authority. So the false teacher's authority is his own mind. 
Whatever he, th- whatever he can think up is his authority. But the Christian's authority is the scripture. The second idol in verse 8 says, uh, the false teacher does what? He defiles the flesh. In other words, a false teacher, um, the, 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 the characteristic of a false teacher is they live for themselves. They live for themselves. They aim to please their sinful nature. Their desire is not to please the Lord, but to please themselves. So what is, how about a Christian? The opposite. What does a Christian do with their sinful desires? Because you and I have sinful desires. Has anybody been tempted lately? Anybody? I have. I, I face temptation every day. And I have to, what do I do with the temptation? I have to crucify it. I have to slay it. I have to resist it. So the false teacher defiles the flesh. The Christian crucifies the sinful desire. And he does what? He yields to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please come and help me in this moment of temptation. Help me do the right thing. That's our prayer instead of defiling our flesh. The third item in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, uh, these same men reject authority. So false teachers False teachers and people that bring apostasy in, they refuse to submit to godly leaders and Jesus Christ himself. However, on the contrary, the Christian submits to the godly counsel of their pastor and leaders. You know, again, um, there's two things you should look for in a leader. There's two things that you should look for in a pastor. There's two things you should look for in a teacher, according to Scripture. Number one is a teacher should teach sound doctrine. That's number one. They got to teach the word. They got to teach their people the scriptures. Uh, there's three uh, pastoral epistles. We call them pastoral epistles. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And those three letters, if you want to know the job description of a pastor or a teacher, go home and read First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And we are called to teach the word, to teach the scriptures, to study the word, and to equip the people. So number one, theology. And they, they were teaching the Bible. Secondly, which is what Jude is dealing with, is uh, in, in a godly leader, a teacher, look at their character. Look at their character. Is the fruit of their life solid? Are, are, are they practicing what they preach? Those are two evidences that should be in every godly leader and every teacher. It's his character and his sound doctrine. The, third, the fourth thing, let's look at verse 8. He says, yet in the same way these men, number four, it says they revile angelic majesties. If you look this up in the Greek, this phrase, um, angelic, ma- angelic majesties, is one word, doxa. And, and this, this word doxa means the splendor of heavenly things. The splendor of heavenly things. So a false teacher reviles angelic majesties. A false teacher um, reviles the splendor of heavenly things. So they, what they do is they blaspheme what is holy. They disregard what is holy. They blaspheme the Lord's Supper. They disregard the Lord's Supper. They disregard the cross. They disregard the things that you and I hold sacred. We hold to these truths of the inspiration of Scripture. We hold to the virgin birth, to his death, to his resurrection, to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to the authority of Scripture. We hold to these things because they are doxa. 
to us. They are the splendor of the heavenly things. So a Christian loves these things, whereas a false teacher could care less about them. So those are the things that, that in verse 8, Jude is teaching us, which I think I reminded you last week, uh, your Bible, the title of this book is Jude, but in the Greek it's what? Judas. It is Judas. This, you know, and, and the one who turned his back on the Lord in his earthly ministry, the one that went apostate, it, this book is teaching us how to avoid that tragic mistake in life. Let's continue, verse 9. Verse, we got 9, 10, 11 to go. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Why did they argue over the body of Moses? That's the big question. Why? Think about this. These are the two. This is the, the archangel of heaven, and this is the head of, of, of the demons. This is Satan and, and Michael himself, the two heads of the two heavenly angelic forces. But why did they argue over the body of Moses? You ready? I don't know. I don't know. And the scripture doesn't tell us. There's some, there's some scholars out there who, who went out and tried to make some assumptions. They think, you know, they, they tried to hide the body of Moses so the children of Israel would not build an altar to Moses. But that's all conjecture. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. And, 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 and when the scripture doesn't give us the answer, that means that the answer is not important. But the main point of verse, of verse 9 is that, uh, look at the very end of it. How did... Um, Michael, what, how did he come against the devil? Instead of, he says, did not pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He, he did it in the name of the Lord. He did it in the name of Christ. Friends and family, you and I, there's a spiritual warfare today. And when we confront the satanic forces in this world, the heavenly battle that is, that is very real. Matter of fact, the spiritual warfare that's taking place is more real than, than the physical existence that we have in this room. But when we confront the satanic forces, we do not face them in the name, in our name or our strength. We face them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he has gone before us and it is Christ himself who rebukes Satan. It is Christ himself who rebukes Satan. And not only does he rebuke Satan, but he's defeated Satan. So we just, we just say, Lord Jesus, I submit to you. And I follow in your triumphal procession. And you go before me. You know, it's when we take our eyes off the Lord. It's when we take our eyes off of Christ that we find ourselves in, in the most difficult spiritual situations. It's when we find ourselves in the most uh, difficult spiritual warfare when we take our eyes off Christ, but when we put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we say, Lord, you go before me. You fight the battle. That is the Christian response to spiritual warfare. It is that we say, Satan, the Lord rebukes you because he defeated you at the cross. And we put our trust in Christ. So we learn that here. From, from Michael, the archangel. We'll figure out when we get to heaven what was the argument over 
concerning this spot. Because the scripture doesn't tell us. Verse 10, he says, But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. You know, false teachers are like unreasoning animals. They care about one thing themselves. They care about one thing themselves. Got any hunters in the room? Anybody ever harvested a deer here? Well, when you, when you, okay, I see a couple hands. Whenever you go out and you harvest a deer, there's normally two or three of them out there, and you, you harvest a deer, and when that deer drops, them other deer don't look at that deer and say, oh, no, let us help you. Let somebody go get some Band-Aids. Hey, come on, let's, let's hey, 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 Joe, hey, Buck, you grab one leg, I'll grab the other leg. We'll, we'll drag him off into the woods. No. When you harvest that, other, when you harvest that one deer, all the other deer, they scatter. They got, they got one thing on their mind, and that is their, their survival. They care only about themselves. And it's the same with a false teacher. A false teacher, he cares about himself. A true shepherd, a true teacher, a true pastor, a true leader, a true Christian, not just leaders, all of us, we care about all people, okay? We show love and compassion and grace to all people, Christian and non-Christian. Just the non-Christians, we're pointing them to Christ. And the Christians, we're, we're instruments of grace, showing them, showing them truth and showing them love. But we care. We're not like unreasoning animals. We don't have just our own interest in mind, but we have the interest of all people in mind. I believe that's the idea that he's conveying in verse 10, is not to be like these guys. And he says, by these things, they are destroyed. Verse 11 Verse 11, our final verse this morning in our verse-by-verse study through the Scriptures is, uh, woe to them. Man, that's a strong statement. That's a strong statement. That's, that's not just a, um, hey, stop it. Better not do that. He's saying, woe to them. Like, you better brace yourself if you're going to continue down this path of rebellion. Woe to them. Strong language in the Greek, this woe to them. It's like, buddy, please stop and think about this before you proceed. What is it? He says, talking about this is, he, he's, he's left the past, he's in the future, talking about the false teachers that they're facing in the first century. He says, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So these false, present-day false teachers are, are following the examples of what they've done in the ancient times. Remember how I began my sermon? There's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. We see people abandoning and walking away from the faith today and doing things they shouldn't be doing. Well, friends and family newsflash, it's been taking place for three or four or 5,000 years now. People, people do this. But the three examples of these apostate false teachers in verse 11, the first one is uh, they've gone the way of Cain. Y'all know the story, Genesis chapter 4. In anger and rage, what did he do? He murdered. He murdered his brother. Didn't take long for sin to come into the world after Adam and Eve, after the creation. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain murdered his brother in anger 
and rage. He was so upset with him that he killed him. The second one, the error of Balaam, this goes back to, um, this, there's actually five chapters that talk about Balaam, but, but, this, but the summary is in Numbers, Balaam encouraged Balak to send women into Israel's camp to entice the men into sexual temptation. Okay, so the era, the era of Balaam, Balak, uh, the ancient Israelites were there going to the promised land. And uh, the king of Moab, was like, he was scared because he thought they were going to be overtaken. So he, he calls in Balaam, this prophet, and says, hey, what can we do? What can we do to keep them from overtaking us? And he knew that if he could get the ancient Israelites to fall into sin, that judgment would come again. So on, on, the, on, his, on the recommendation of Balaam, he says, send harlots into the camp to seduce the men into immorality. And when you do that, judgment will fall on the ancient Israelites. So, that's, so today that would be like um, someone trying to get other Christians to fall away. You know, there's, there's people in this world that, that don't want you to succeed in serving Christ. There's people in this world that, that they, they, they love it when they see Christians fall. They love it. They, 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 they like to mock Christianity, and they like to mock Jesus Christ when people fall away. And people rejoice in that, unfortunately. That's very sad, because that's the very reason you came into this world. You came into this, God brought you into this world so that you could know him, so that you could love him, and you could have this awesome relationship serving God all the days of your life. But there are people, false teachers, people that want to cause us to become apostate, that will use immorality to pull us away from the Lord. And our bodies belong to him. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then the third one in verse 11, when he says, Woe to them, for they have gone, is, um, they, it says that they perished in the rebellion of Korah. How many of you guys know what that's talking about? The, the earth opened up and swallowed these guys. Korah, and I believe it was 250 men, led a rebellion against Moses and his leadership. And God judged them by the earth opening up and taking them down. Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, calling out false teachers and people that say stuff that's unbiblical. But for godly teachers and godly leaders... There's people that want to take them down too. People that want to faithfully teach the scriptures. People that want to faithfully walk through the word. There's people that will, will try to take them down. And here in the Old Testament, um, they, they said, the scripture says that the earth just opened up and swallowed them down and took them down in judgment. You know, if anything, as a, as a leader, as a pastor, and I speak for the elders and the Sunday school teachers and all the wonderful people that teach here at Calvary Chapel Irma, the one thing that you can do for us is pray for us. Pray for us that we're, that we're faithful to the word, that we're faithful to God, and that we serve you guys with all of our hearts. We lay everything out on the line to, to share the gospel with you so that you can experience the truth and grace and joy and love of God in Christ Jesus. And we don't want to go I don't want to ever go the way of Cain or, or the era of Balaam. I don't want anger in my heart towards no one. I don't want the, the, the era of Balaam. I don't want to entice 
other people to sin and fall away, but there are people that will. And then the rebellion of Korah. You know, I submit to my leaders. Hopefully you submit to your leaders. We should all submit to our leaders as long as they're God. Two things I mentioned a while ago. Sound doctrine and character. If they meet those two qualifications, then, then, then lean on them. Listen, listen to their teaching. You know, we should apply this principle to every Bible teacher we listen to. You know, you probably got some people that you listen to on TV. I know I do. I go home on Sunday evenings and I catch some of my favorite area preachers and watch their sermon. But most importantly, all the guys that I listen to, I know them well. I know that they're teaching the word and I know that they're living the life. And that's very important. And that's how we guard ourselves from apostasy. That's how we guard ourselves from false teaching is we just not, we're not willy-nilly opening our heart to every little thing we hear, but we make sure that it is sound, solid, and that it is biblical. So in closing, based on these uh, five verses here, how do we guard ourselves from apostasy? How, how, do, how do you guard yourself from apostasy? I'm going to give you um, three applications, three things that you can take home and how to guard yourself from Turning your back. You know, it's tragic. I can tell you story after story of people I've watched who've turned their back on the Lord and and walked away. And it breaks our hearts. So how do we guard ourselves from apostasy? Number one, remember this. The battle is real. The battle is real. We are living in a day and age where deception is all around us. The culture is trying to wash our brains with their truth. And we need to wash our brains with the truth of God's word. There's a real spiritual warfare taking place. And you need to put on the armor of God. And you need to fight the good fight. If you don't think this battle is real, then you're already deceived. Number two, how do we guard ourselves from apostasy? Remember the truth. Remember the truth. God's word, the Bible, is truth. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible and the Bible alone will keep you from falling into error. Family, we need to know our Bible. We need to know our Bible. We need to know it well. And that's why we place a great emphasis at Calvary Chapel, verse by verse. Sunday morning, verse by verse, teaching in the New Testament. Wednesday nights, verse by verse, teaching in the Old Testament. So we get the whole counsel of God. We're not focused on one area. We're focused on the whole thing. Uh, um, I got somebody coming to, got a, Pastor Dan coming to preach for me in two weeks. And Pastor Dan asked me this, he asked me the other week, he says, what passage would you like me to preach on? I said, anything between Genesis and Revelation. It's all inspired. It's all profitable. It's all good, and it's all sound. It's anything between those books. So we need to know, we need to know the Bible. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring, as you study the Bible and you memorize Scripture, and then later in life, later on in the week, when you face battles, when you face temptation, the Holy Spirit will bring that Scripture to memory and will help you fight the battle. He'll give you that little nudge, that push. He'll remind you of that Bible verse you memorized when you study the scriptures. That's why we study the scriptures. 
and hopefully we, we, we retain it. Number three, after we remember the battle's real, we remember the truth. This is number one. Get this, please get this in your heart. Please get this in your mind. And please don't ever forget this. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. That's the most important principle in guarding yourself from apostasy is to remember the gospel. And the gospel is God loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you will trust him, he will keep you from apostasy. In other words, keep it simple. Keep it simple. God, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you. I love you. You said in John 14, 6, uh, that you are the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father you. I trust you. You are the truth. And now in this world, in this world that I'm living in, I'm going to trust in your truth, the Bible. And I'm going to trust in your Holy Spirit to lead me, guide me, and direct me away from false teachers and away from apostasy. Again, as I, as I opened up my teaching this morning, absolute truth exists. And the absolute truth is God. God is absolute truth in our existence, in this universe, in this world. And that truth is God is exactly who he says he is. He is truth. Okay? That's absolute. Now, not everybody's connected with that absolute truth. But between truth and you and I, there's many things that will stand in the way. And apostasy and false teaching and unbiblical teaching separate you and I from the truth. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And false teaching and, and apostasy, apostasy and false teachers, they separate us from the truth. And we just want to know him and to make him known. Amen? So go out. Be Bereans. Study the scriptures. Know the word. Know your sword. The Bible says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Do you know what he's saying when he says that in Ephesians? When he says that the Bible is the word of God, it's the sword of the spirit. He's saying that the scripture is the sword the Holy Spirit uses to grow you in your life. And the, and the word is the sword the Holy Spirit uses in your life when you face temptation. And when you face things that are bad, it's the Spirit and the Word, they come together and they give us the victory as we place Christ first. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for Jude, verses uh, 5 to 11, Lord. We, we've looked at it, we've studied it, God, and uh, I pray, Father, that you'll just help us grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us uh, to love the truth, to defend the truth, and Father, keep us in the truth, Lord, as we walk with you and serve you all the days of our life. Lord, there's freedom in the truth. So Lord, let us experience amazing joy, amazing peace, because the truth has set us free, and we're living for you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this, this Lord's day, and we thank you for the song worship, we thank you for the fellowship, and we thank you for the, for the book of Jude that we're studying. So, Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we magnify you.
In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.